Broadcasting from Boss Hog Studios in Hazard County, it's Scott Romine with Guatney Unplugged. Hey, Scott Romine here. Hope your Saturday's going fantastic. We are talking with absolutely one of my heroes today. Terry Leonard is a stuntman, a stunt coordinator, and second unit director. He is a legend in the film business, has worked with numerous Oscar-winning directors. How are you, Terry? I'm good, Scott. I'm good. Thank you. It's so good to talk to you. I know that you started out young as like a football player, but somehow you end up in Hollywood. How did that happen? Well, I'm making a long story short, but we got some time to fill here, don't we? (laughs) Uh, I went to the University of Arizona, and uh, uh, my big goal in life is to try and make the Olympic team in a decathlon for 64 Tokyo. And I was never good enough to make the Olympic team, not even close. But I was, but I was um, um, elected to compete in the trials at Mount San Antonio College for the 1964 Olympic Games in Tokyo, which I obviously wasn't good enough to make. But I sprained my ankle in the third event of the first day of the decathlon. Ah. I was going to sign with the Rams. They found out I strained my ankle severely. Ram camp started nine days after the Olympic trials. And I didn't want to sign with the Rams as a free agent because that would eliminate me as an amateur athlete under the AAU auspices that, 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 that covers the amateur athletics of track and field. So I, re- I refrained from signing with them when I, hurt my ankle in the Olympic trials, sprained it severely. They said, you're not ready for Ram camp. We're not going to sign you. So I didn't go to Ram camp. I ended up in the Canadian Football League, got hurt up there. <sighs> they got rid of me in a heartbeat and uh, the BC Lions in Vancouver, Canada. And I was going to go back to school and finish my college. I only had 11 units to graduate, coach high school football and track. And I said, yeah, I don't want to do that just yet, but I want to do something else. So I said, I know what I'll do. I'll call Chuck Roberson. Chuck Roberson was the stunt double for John Wayne for so many years from the middle 40s. And I met him on a movie called McClintock mm-hmm. that Wayne did down in Tucson, at old Tucson. And I was going to school down there in Tucson, Arizona, to U of A, as I said. So he said, yeah, come on out. You'd make a good stunt man. Well, I packed my sack and lived in Chuck Roberson's back bedroom. <laughs> well, a lot of things, a lot of things happen to you as you grow older, as you grow up and injuries, probably as you're an athlete are one of them and they can deter you and make you very sour on life. If you let it. And I always was, was full of life and had uh, a real good attitude towards it. And God guided me to be where I was supposed to be. That was in the movie business. And through a course of big disappointments, the the Olympic trials wasn't that big a disappointment because I knew I wasn't good good enough to make the Olympic team, but I was good enough to be invited to the trials. And that to me was an honor. And to this day, I still think it is. I mean, how many people have competed in the Olympic trials at the decathlon? Not many. Not many. <laughs> Sounds like football and, was as dangerous as doing stunts. <laughs> no, football was bad. Foot, football, I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I played through college and didn't really get hurt much. Went to Canada 
to play in the Canadian Football League, and bang, and my back went out. They, they, it tweaked really bad. So I, at that point, I my career as an athlete was over. I said, man, now what am I going to do? It's over. Track is out of the college is over. Pro, pro ball is over. I know. I'll call Roberson, which I did. And I got into the movie business through him and a number of other friends of mine that were in the business and uh, got in the Screen Actors Guild and caught fire. I just started working all the time. And I gave it a year because I'd seen as a local extra in Tucson, they'd go out and work at old Tucson as an extra and they'd pay you 20 bucks a day and five dollars a day if you got on a horse so i was making 25 dollars a day when gas was 19 cents a gallon that was pretty good money while you're in school but it didn't last so anyway (laughs) i realized uh when i got into picture business i said this is really this is where i want to be and here i am i mean i'm 83 years old and and i'm still here yeah a couple times i shouldn't have been but uh, it's been a hell of a career. Oh, I can't imagine. Were, were there certain types of gags that you gravitated towards or, or some that you kind of avoided? I know some people like fire or don't like fire or heights or don't like heights or any of that kind of stuff. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't shy from anything as a, as I was a jack of all trades and a master of absolutely nothing. <laughs> You know, uh, I mean, as witnessed by the decathlon, you know, you do 10 events. And uh, I got into picture business, and the first couple of years I was in it, I was privileged to get a couple of high falls that were super high. And I ended up doing one on Wilshire Boulevard in downtown Los Angeles that was at the time the highest fall in the world. So I started making a name for myself as a high fall guy. Uh. I came in as a horse guy, and I started doing horse stunts. I, I, didn't, I didn't shy from anything. That fall. I did. I did it all. I did. I did high falls, fights, cars, wagons, horses. You name it. That, I mean, I there wasn't anything that I didn't feel I could. I could pull off. Well, a few times I didn't pull it off. By golly, I fooled everybody <laughs> you else. Tried. Well, that you mentioned <laughs> yeah. that that fall. That was like an eight story fall in the cardboard boxes. Correct. Yeah. Well, back then you we didn't have the airbag. Cause they went, they went stupid high after the airbag was invented. And, you know, when I was when just at the end of my college career in, in track and field, the airbag for pole vaulters became, became, uh, in vogue. They no longer use sawdust and, and stuff like that, you know, for a landing pit and guys started going higher. So they had, they used the airbag and, and they adapted that in the film business. And after, after the airbag was invented, Guys like Don Robinson went really, really high. I mean, he was the best high fall guy in the business. But mm-hmm. he didn't go into he didn't go into over end with horses. I went high and went into over end with horses. But uh, it was a it was a, a you had to build the catcher according to your height, weight, and how high you were going to go because you develop a certain amount of speed in the high fall, and you hit the top of cardboard boxes. Uh, with a certain amount of impact, and you got to build it soft enough so it don't you don't knock yourself out, and and uh, hard enough that you don't go through them and hit the street. There's a science well, to putting a cardboard <laughs> box together, I guess. There's a science to setting the cardboard boxes, and I did both. I wow. went through them and knocked myself out on the top layer, and I went through them one on I went through one on a picture. 
called Black Samson, hit the street, went all the way through the boxes. How I did, I'll never know because you, you layer them so that you don't do that. But I exploded through them and hit the street, and they pulled me out of there blind and paralyzed on the waist down. And I lay in a Pasadena City Hospital blind and paralyzed for three days. And I knew there's a God. Oh, yeah. No that question. convinced me. I mean, I, I, I came out of it and had a bad back. My, my back was, a, was purple and yellow and red and you name it, the colors of the rainbow. And I continued on as a movie stuntman and uh, did a bunch of high falls and a bunch of running W's and toe tappers and horse falls and saddle falls and all that stuff. So I, I, I earned my money as a stuntman, <laughs> that's for sure. But uh, after that accident I had going through the boxes, um, I, I it, may, it really confirmed again, once again, my belief in God. Oh, I believe wholeheartedly. I came through cancer a few years ago, and I, you know, on paper shouldn't be here, but there's a God that yeah, decides yeah, these things. Sure. You know? Yeah. He, he wants you to go, or he wants you to stay. Terry, you mentioned John Wayne earlier, where you went out like on a movie of his. Any memories of, of John Wayne or, or working on a set with him? I did five pictures with him, and I'll tell you what. When you worked with Wayne, you knew you were working with a movie star. Really? And I, 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 I can't say I became good friends with him, but I, I would say I was friends with him. And 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 what a what a great individual! I, I tell you what, he was he was the real deal. I, I remember on uh, a movie called Real Lobo, I was following a horse called Cocaine, and I've. Don't know how that horse got the name cocaine because back in the early 40s, I don't think anybody knew what cocaine was. No. I sure didn't, even in 1970 <laughs> when I was doubling, I was doubling the second lead, Jorge Rivero. But anyway, that horse was named Cocaine. It was owned by Chuck Roberson, a famous falling horse, trained falling horse that worked in all the John Wayne pictures from like 1949 when he first got that horse. So I'm getting ready to follow this horse at night. We're filming it on the sand dunes outside of old Tucson and where I got my start as an extra. And uh, the that famous Pontiac station wagon that Mr. Wayne had was the top that was built so he could sit in it with his hat on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, came out on the set and Chuck went over to him and said, Duke, what are you doing out here this early? Because we had a late call. They had a late I had an early call to do the stunt and uh, he didn't have a call till midnight and this is going to be over by then. He came out and he said, he, he told Lawrence and I came out there, I say that kid fall about Coke. Oh. I couldn't believe it. Oh, Here comes gosh. Wayne out to watch me fall this horse. Um, and if I'd have missed that horse and didn't get him down, I'd have never got another horse job in the movie business again. <laughs> so fortunately we were, we got him down and turned him over a time, time or two and uh, everything was fine. Well, Terry, as a kid, oh. I always heard that there was a very limited number of horses that could do those falls. Is is that true, or or, or is that very true? It's very true. Very true. Uh, a lot of stuntmen back in the day when I got started, they made their reputations because there were so many westerns being made, features and television. Uh, prior to television, there was a big, a lot of them were features. I mean, probably 60%, 70% of the movies made were Westerns. 
I don't know if that's true or not, but that's just my estimation of it. And uh, the stuntmen that I got to know, because I broke in with that gang right at the end, I started in 65, and uh, stuntmen made their reputations as stuntmen by their horses. Ah. And I can still remember the names of a lot of these horses and the guys that own them. And they're all passed away now. I'm the last of them, I guess. Wow. So, hey, hey, Terry, talking with Corey Eubanks over all the years I've known him, he, he always used to mention that, at least in the old days, there was like an un, unwritten or unspoken code among stuntmen where you really didn't showboat or promote yourself, that you did a certain thing. Has that faded away, or what kind of were the unwritten rules back in the day? I mean, he would talk about you well, had to be there early, you know, and, and... Oh, I'll tell you what, you're asking some really good questions. You're absolutely right. Uh, a very good friend of mine, Buzz Henry, great cowboy and great kid actor, uh, sponsored me for the Stuntmen's Association. He was one of them. And Buzz had a fallen horse named Danger. Mm-hmm. I remember his horse and old Buzz. And Buzz is a great stuntman and a great coordinator when coordinators first came into the business. And uh, he told me when I first got into this, he says, Terry, our success is our anonymity. You don't want actors to know that you did their stunts. Let them go on television or go on the talk shows and say that they did everything and just let them do it. Let them do it. Ah. The more they work, the more you work. That's if you smart. go on a show and, and break their bubble, it's you're probably not going to be very popular with them. And you may lose your job as the stunt double for that particular actor. And someone else will come in and take your put your clothes on. It doesn't take you long to know that in the picture business, you get hurt. They'll get someone else in those clothes by the time they, by the time they say take two. So just keep so your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut and don't 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 brag on yourself, obviously. And try and stay away from all the publicity and mentioning. It's hard a lot for a lot of guys because there's a lot of ego involved in a picture minutes, and you obviously have to have a certain amount of ego to do what we do. And sometimes it gets a little tough not to say I. And I don't like that word. I like the word we. You you look at all the NASCAR drivers back from the day, from Petty on before then, you never hear a NASCAR driver say I. You all pay attention. Always they say we. And that follows what I like to do. I don't like to say I. But sometimes you have to because you're the only one talking about it. Yeah. But uh, you, you try and stay away from... I, 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 I. Hey, Terry, and I know this is probably very different from when you started, obviously, but when you're laying out a stunt now as the coordinator, are you thinking about what part of it would be retouched with CGI, or are you still trying to do this thing where the whole thing's in camera? Uh, doing a stunt now, you have to take into consideration computer graphics there's no question about it. that's the biggest part of the film business right now they can make a movie without us or actors you know yeah it and, wouldn't be any uh, good <laughs> yeah no that's true <laughs> uh we were doing a thing down in mexico called uh romance in the stone yep. with michael douglas and kathleen turner 
and I was the second unit director on there, directed all the action. And at the end of the movie, they wanted to go and take that yellow car off a waterfall. Yep. So they wanted to go down and shoot a plate of a waterfall in in, in Brazil and come back and computer generate that car going off this waterfall. I said, well, that's a lot of expense going all the way down there and everything, which I'm not concerned about the expense, but I am. And when you lay stunts out, you have to be in harmony with the budget. But I told the director, Bob Zemeckis, I said, I know a place in Durango that I wanted to go off of a number of times. We went off the waterfall, and the ramp we had built to slide the car off, the cable, support cable, a lot of slack came out of it. Just as I pushed off from my little ramp on welded on the side of the car to get into my Greg Luganis dive, I was going to make Michael Douglas look like a champion, oh, yeah, Olympic champion diver. Well, I lost my hurdle step, like a, you miss your hurdle step on a three meter springboard, and down you go. And I started falling with the car. Oh. Vince got off good, he got off. I said, Vince, don't be a hero, don't stay with this thing till the last minute, which I did, dumb. Uh, I stayed till the last minute because I want to get as much push as I could and get as much of a dive as I could and all that. Anyway, the cable came out of the – the slack came out of the cable, and down I went with the car. And the first thing is I thought of going down with the car, that little iron foot peg that we had welded on the side, if that goes in first and I hit it, it's going to cut me in half. So I kind of got away from the car and gave made the sloppiest looking dive. I eventually got, I didn't think I got into a dive and I landed in the impact zone with a waterfall. And there's another time that God was looking out for me because the impact of the waterfall hitting me, the water is like a, like 10 fire hoses hitting you and knocked all the air out of me. All my reserve air was gone. I have to say that I saw the tunnel. I saw, I, I, I saw the tunnel. On the way to see God, I hope, at least I hope I was going to see God. But then uh, the, the, the whirlpools kind of spit me out, and I got my air. And um, a big first AD named Javier saw what was going on, and he swam out and grabbed a hold of me, and they pulled me into the shore, pumped me out. And uh, that night I was being interviewed by some newspaper people and said, don't you hate those safety guys that never came to you? Because we had safety men in aluminum boats back under the waterfall right, right. all six months of Vince Dedrick none of them came to me and they said aren't you angry with people I said I'm so happy to be alive I love everybody let's have a drink it's <laughs> <laughs> awesome you know uh, Terry we've, we've got to talk about one of I think could possibly the best movie ever made Raiders of the Lost Ark and you're the guy on the truck and you get off the horse to the truck and all that you you would have been the stunt coordinator for correct, but you ended up being one of the the Harrison Ford stunt doubles for that scene. How how did that exactly well, come to be? I'll tell you how that happened. Uh, we were doing a movie called Used Cars with Bob Zemeckis. Love that over movie. in Phoenix, and Steven Spielberg is one of the executive producers on it, and he flew to Phoenix a couple times to talk to me about Raiders of the Lost Ark, and. Uh, so I was in quite a conference with Stephen throughout the preliminary pre-production of Raiders. And I was going to be the stunt coordinator. Mickey Moore is going to be the second unit director. Mickey Moore's passed away since, but Mickey was a great second unit director and a good friend of mine. So I, I was in pre-production with him, and we talked to 
about a little bit and in homage to Vyakamal Kanut, who is a good friend of mine. I suggested to Stephen regarding that sequence that we do what Yakima did. Well, I guess they kind of wrote that in, storyboarded, whatever. Well, in the meantime, I was supposed to go with John Milius to do Conan the Barbarian with Arnold oh, in Yugoslavia. Awesome movie. So I told Mr. Spielberg, I said, Stephen, if John Milius goes with Conan the Barbarian, I got to go with him because you know my loyalty to him. And he said, I understand completely. All right, here we go. I, I'm set to do Raiders of the Lost Ark. Milius hooks up with Conan the Barbarian. They're going to go to Yugoslavia. Marshal Tito dies, who's the dictator of Yugoslavia, and there's 3,000 Russian troops on the Yugoslavian border. That's where we're going to make Conan. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dino De Lorena says, who was a big producer of it, the financier of Conan the Barbarian, he says, you're not going to Yugoslavia. They're looking to take over Yugoslavia, the Russians. So I had turned Raiders down to do Conan. Uh. I called Stephen. I said, Stephen, I can't do, uh, uh, they, they, I can't do Raiders. He said, well, recommend somebody that you would like and it's that I'd like. So I recommended Glenn Randall. Glenn Randall from Randall Ranch, famous Randall Ranch, training horses and stuff. A great stuntman. I had to get the introduction for Glenn to meet Stephen. Stephen likes him, hires him. And uh, I'm without a job. Ah. So, because I gave, I had given Raiders away, and Conan shuts down a little bit later after I'd given that away, and I'm done. I, I, I don't have Conan because of the Russians on the Yugoslavian border, yeah. and I gave away Raiders to Glenn. Glenn, God bless him, called me and said, you want Raiders back? And I said, no. I'll tell you what, JR. Jerry Gatlin called me to do the stunt on, on Legend of the Lone Ranger that Yakima did. Now, there's only two guys that have done this stunt. Where you transfer from your horse, like I told Stephen, I transferred from my horse to the truck. Same thing, I transferred from my horse to the leaders, get shot, go down under them, drag under six galloping horses, slide under the stagecoach, and climb up the back. And I said, I can do that in Monument Valley, uh, uh, JR. I'm going to go do that stunt. So JR stayed with with Raiders. I go to Monument Valley to do the stunt. And as the story has it, I got run over. And they ran over both my legs. They packed me out of Monument Valley uh, in the LAX on a lifeguard call. Tore my knee up, tore both of them up, really. And uh, that was the end of that. So now I get a call later from the JR. He says, hey, you want to come over and double Harrison Ford on Raiders? <laughs> and I said, I'll be ready to go in a couple of weeks. I said, I'm hobbling around pretty good. And uh, sure enough, I go to North Africa to do uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And uh, the rest is history. Oh, yeah, it is. So, and, and, then, and then they decide to make Conan the Barbarian in Spain. 
So I, I ended up going from Raiders of the Lost Ark to Spain to do uh, uh, Conan, the Bar Conan the Barbarian that fall. I stayed over there for seven months. Unbelievable. Two of the biggest and films of all time, back to back. <laughs> when, when well, I guess. So, anyway, to me, at least, you know. <laughs> yeah, I well, God bless you. I go over to Conan and, uh, as a stunt coordinator, second unit director with John Millius, where I've done all of his films. And, you know, we met on a, a movie down in in uh, Tucson where he was the writer, Judge Roy Bean with Paul Newman. And uh, I we didn't know him at that time. This was back in the late 60s. And uh, Millius was, had done, had been the writer on, on, uh, that picture with Newman, you know, Judge Roy Bean. So we got to be buddies on that picture, hanging around. He hung around sure. with the stunt guys. And uh, we became really good friends. And from then on, I just did every picture he did. Uh, Red Dawn, I think, was one of his last movies, I think. Is that right? 84? I mean, Yeah, Red Dawn. I think that was around yes, Las sir. Vegas, if I remember correctly, somewhere around there. Where they it was, it was in there. Las Vegas, New Mexico, and, and Santa Fe. When you're climbing up the front of the truck in Raiders, is there any kind of a safety strap or or anything, or are you just freehand doing the thing? Freehand. We 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 made the radiator solid, and uh, when I went down, fell over it, and got down under the truck, I put my front feet on the front axle of the truck, and hung on. If I don't, if, if something had happened where I slipped or something, I was in trouble because we didn't wire. I I had no safety cable. We just winged it, kind of. You know, <laughs> you couldn't allow anybody to do that today. You have every kind of cable in the world that they rotoscope that cable out, and you wouldn't see it. Yeah, I but mean, I didn't have anything. You didn't have any. I've, I've even heard, when I, I've heard even like the fights in Conan with real swords that wouldn't be allowed today. No, 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 and they weren't real swords. They oh. just really made them look like they were. Boy, they sure did look real. They they sure did. And you would go on to work with Harrison Ford, like in Patriot Games and The Fugitive. I mean, did you yeah, kind of become I, I a did. regular work for him? Well, kind of. Uh, uh, we 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 did a, a thing in Chicago, in Chicago. Uh, well, not really in Chicago, with Cherokee, South Cherokee, uh, North Carolina. The Fugitive. Yep. And I laid on, directed a train wreck on that, which I'm really proud of. And that, that was that was for real. And there's another one. They wanted to do CG. I said, it ain't going to look right, guys. Oh. The only thing they did CG on that was when the locomotive was chasing Harrison. Yeah. And that was a that, that was kind of a gift because uh, the track was supposed to blow out from underneath the train and turn it over on side. Didn't always blow out, oh. so that train jumped off. Jumped off the 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 the, the, the turnoff, and the little short spur track we had, it didn't completely turn over, and it get on its side, which would have stopped it. It kept coming and piled that dirt up, and uh, so they made that shot into a shot with Harrison being chased by the train. But I laid that all out, and we were we were a whole month on that laying that thing out. So it ends up looking better than it would have if it would have worked perfectly. Well, absolutely. I'm sure they would have done the same thing, but it looked better because that train with that locomotive was plowing the ground. 
But you work on a film that I love that was before my time, Planet of the Apes. What do you remember about that? Well, I, I had my fallen horse on a movie called Planet of the Apes, the second Planet of the Apes. And a uh, horse I trained in Mexico on a man called Horse. I did, I did all three man called horses, Kelvin Richard Harris and um, uh, Chuck Roberson was stunt coordinator on. He called me in to bring my following horse in and I worked with Tap Canut, who was Chuck uh, uh, Yakima's son. And uh, uh, he both whoops the front feet of my horse out from under me and away we go. But uh, I, I didn't work on it that much. Did you keep any so, cool props from these movies, like a, a whip or an indie hat or gloves oh, or anything? Oh, man, the mistakes I ever made. Back in the day, we didn't th ever think of doing that because there was not, not such a market. And my two sons were doing stunts. And I tell them, I said, whatever you can get without stealing, yes, get what you can. Because when you're my age, that stuff's going to be worth a lot of money. I'll tell you a hat that I had. I had the hat that Bobby Duvall wore on Apocalypse Now. I was on that movie for a year with Francis Coppola. And Bobby Duvall had that hat when he goes out and says, Charlie, don't surf. And the right. guys surf and get blown off the surfboard. And all that. But anyway, I had that hat. And somehow it got lost in the shuffle. And I don't have that hat. What do you think that hat would be worth now? Oh, there's just $100,000 or more. A pretty expensive hat. What, what do you think Harrison Ford's hat would be worth uh, now? 250 probably. Maybe more. I got to ask you about, I mean, for me, my favorite Western of all time is Tombstone. And you work on Tombstone. But I've always heard like it started out with a totally different director did Kurt Russell kind of direct the thing or, or what happened with the change there? Well, I was hired as a second unit director and I was gone a lot. Of, a lot of the time I wasn't on the first unit, but Kevin Jarre wrote the script, which is one of the best scripts ever written. Oh, no doubt. And his time was up. They gave him a week, a month guarantee and they didn't like what they were getting on dailies. So they called in a director named George Cosmatis mm -hmm. that uh, I, I did Cobra with. He directed uh, Stallone on the movie Cobra. Yep. So I knew him quite well. And he's, he, he's pretty outspoken about a lot of different things. And he comes in on the movie. And they, they, uh, Bob Mizrowski came to me and said, do you think you could take over the second unit I mean, the first unit and direct a movie. I said, Bob, yeah, <laughs> I'd love to, but uh, <laughs> you can't do that. A second unit director can't come up from the second unit on the same film and take over for a director if he gets fired. It's against the guild rules. Oh. So I said, I, I thank you. Uh, thank you very much, but I can't. And they bring in Cosmatis and we're staying at the Holiday Inn down there on the other side of Tucson. And, and uh, from on a Sunday, I hear across the swimming pool, I go, Ted Lee! And I didn't even have to turn around. I said, George Cosmatis, how the hell are you? And George oh. took over the movie. Yeah. Oh, he did a now, great job. I'm sure, I'm sure that, yeah, he changed a lot of scenes and did a, he really did a really good job. You cannot pass it on cable TV. You're no, going you through channels and Tombstone, it stops right there. We're watching Tombstone.
Yeah. Um, and it's that good. Yeah. And when you're standing there on set and you see firsthand Val Kilmer do that voice, did that strike you as something really special is going on here? Oh, sure. Absolutely. And that whole, that whole movie was special. Hey, I was told to ask you about the monkeys during Apocalypse Now. I don't know what that means, but Corey Eubanks asked, tell, tell, ask him about the monkeys. Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. You ready for a story? Yes. All right. We're on Apocalypse Now. They captured 300 monkeys because they're going to put these monkeys on a sailboat. And when the sailboat sail flops open, there's a guy spread out there gutted and all kinds of monkeys are on this boat. And this can be a second unit. <laughs> Me. I'm going to be out there with those monkeys. Yeah, of course. Okay. Now, we're filming at, Kurt, at, at uh, Kurtz's compound, West Brando. And I got nothing to do. There's absolutely nothing for me to do. So they got these monkeys captured and put them in a cage. There's about 150 on each side and a walkway down the middle, just wide enough for you to get by. Maybe, I don't know, six feet wide. Who knows? And I'd go out there and watch those monkeys. I'd grab a card table chair and a stick, and I'd go out there and just watch these monkeys. Oh, sure. And they are so interesting, you know. And uh, this one big one was going to bite this little one's arm off. And I mean, they're brutal. They are like what American society is today. Yeah, and I'm yeah. sitting out there really getting, I'm, I'm being entertained, man, until lunchtime. I'm going, wow, I'm going out to see my monkeys. <laughs> well, I get out there one day and this one big one is brutalizing this little one. I said, that'll be enough of that. So I take this walking stick that I've got and I start beating on these big monkeys. Okay, cool. They back up and scream and holler and look at me, and now they're all yelling at me. So the next day I go out there, I take my chair, sit down. Thank God I'm equidistant between the cages, and I'm going to watch my monkeys. This is going to be a great day for me in monkey land. Yeah, well, sure. <laughs> so I get out there, and there's not a, there's not a sound. And it's in the jungle. It's on the South Philippines. Toxinhan River, and I'm looking at these monkeys, and they're all looking at me, and there's not a one making a sound. Then I realize there's no sounds in the trees. There's no birds, there's no nothing, because that jungle's alive with sounds. And I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, like on cue, 300 monkeys attack the cage, no and they're reaching way. through trying to get a hold of me. If one of them had gotten a hold of my shirt or got a hold of my hair and pulled me next to the cage, they'd have killed me. Even though they couldn't get out of the cage, I would be pulled up right flat against that cage. And I'll tell you what, that, but I, I've never known fear, but I was a little excited at that point. <laughs> That's scary. Yeah. Oh, my And gosh. now, you know, I got to go work with these monkeys on that boat. Yeah. There's no way. Yeah. So the me trying to protect the monkeys cost me a little second unit with, which I did a couple of days of second unit with, with Francis. But uh, I guess if everybody you've worked with, John Wayne probably set the bar pretty high. Him and him and, and Chuck Heston. Yeah, because you, you got to work. Yeah, with them. I'll, I'll tell you a story. I'll story about Chuck Heston. We're up in in uh, in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Doing last mountain, I'm with Brian Keith, and I was double Brian Keith a number of times. 
I doubled him on that movie, and I was second year director on it. So I get knocked out doing a stunt that I invented. I won't go into it, but I get knocked out. I get knocked out really bad. They take me to the hospital in Heber City, Utah, and they let me go that evening about 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, whatever. It's dark, and uh, I'm walking back to my park, my truck, and I'm walking back to my condo, and I see a figure walking across the parking lot towards me. And I get a look at it, and it's Chuck Heston. I say, Chuck, what are you doing here? And he said, Terry, I heard they released you from the hospital. I called to check on you to see how you were doing. And I came over here because they said they sent you home. And I came over to the condo, you know, I'm paraphrasing now. Mm -hmm. But I came over to see how you were. And there was no nobody there, no entourage, no cameras, no nothing. Just Chuck Heston checking on Terry Leonard. I, I, I almost got tears in my eyes. I almost get tears in my eyes telling that story today. You know, he was such a good guy. What a gentleman. What a neat guy. Thank you so much, Terry. We appreciate you guys listening today. Scott Romine for Guatney Unplugged. We'll see you next week.